0: Welcome to the Blue Oasis Podcast. This is a feed podcast for finding peace and prosperity, learning the history of hobbies, as well as developing a little side hustle. If you want to find peace and prosperity in your life, this is your show. Get ready. You're listening to the Blue Oasis Podcast. I am your host, Adam Rothstein. All right, let's get to the show. And welcome back to the Blue Oasis podcast. I'm your host, Adam Rothstein. With me today is Lance Psycho, uh, even though it doesn't appear that way. it uh, That's how it's pronounced, as I've told. Lance, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Adam. You are welcome. Um, so you have started um, a business, um, rather, uh, during the great- recession um and uh and you were in architecture and building um so um can i ask how did you get started and can you tell me a little bit about your background <laughs>
1: Yeah, sure thing. So uh, I'm 40 years old and my story starts when I was 13 years old. Uh, basically, I, I grew up in northwest North Dakota in between a sugar beet farm and a cattle ranch. And on the sugar beet farm, I tried irrigating those sugar beets with my dad one summer and I lasted about a week. It's not because I'm not good at hard. I don't like hard work. I really love hard work. As a matter of fact, I just had my tool bags on today. I uh, went back into the field and and was framing up a, a, a custom she shed for a lady but what it really was, was I, I didn't get along with my dad too well at that point in my life. And the, the work just was not really fulfilling for me. It was also just kind of a pain in the butt. I mean, when you're, you're getting sugar beets, what you have to do is you have to get up about every three or four hours for 24 hours and go change water. And, and and then the mosquitoes almost carry you away. So I lasted about a week and I asked, I, I told my dad, I'm like, I, I can't do this for the rest of the summer. Don't worry, my my best friend Chris wants to come help you. He like he'll fill he'll fill my spot, and he goes, "Well, you got to do something." And I go, "Yeah, I agree, obviously. Like I like to work, and I, I need money." So I was thirteen years old, and I uh, that night I called his best friend Bruce. His best friend Bruce was a general contractor, and I'd always been that kind of kid who, when I whenever I'd go on like a a family trip or a road trip, I'd always have a sketchbook. My grandmother would take us on a lot of trips. She always encouraged drawing. I was always building with Legos. I always liked creating things. I was always a creative person. So I I asked Bruce if he had any openings and he said he said, Yeah, we just got a big contract. We're gonna do 80 roofs this summer. We're gonna wake up at like four or five each day. We're gonna have the roof torn off by 10, 10 a.m. and we're gonna have it put back on by three p.m. I'll pay seven twenty-five an hour and you can be my gopher. And I go, Oh, cool. What's that? He goes, Well, when you when you can go for this, you can go for that. When you're done going for the things, you, then you can get up on the roof, Lance, and you can learn how to roof. I was the best dang gopher that he ever had. And about halfway through the summer, Bruce said something to me that kind of changed my whole outlook on how businesses even work. Because my, my dad, again, was just a farmhand. If it wasn't for him, you know, God bless him, the farm would have went under. I'm glad he did all that and supported the family and everything. My mother is a dental assistant, but neither of them had <clears throat> any sort of entrepreneurial you know, acumen at all into what they wanted to, they never did anything like that. So the other thing too, is like growing up in a lower middle-class household where I was really anxious about money all the time. Right. So to the point where it was, I remember one time uh, I was like, I was like, again, 13, 14 that uh, my aunt had gifted me a computer. She she said, ah, you know, he needs to have a computer. And this is kind of like home PCs and home computers were just sort of newish. And I remember getting those AOL CDs in the mail, and I put one in the put one in the uh, in the little CD ROM there, and I had a modem and everything, and I you had a dial up, and the dial up in this case where I lived was I had to dial all the way to Fargo, so it was long distance, and I didn't think there was any long distance with the internet in that kind of way, right? Sure enough, there was, and my mom and dad got this thousand dollar bill in the mail, and you would have thought it was the most life threatening amount of money to them ever. Like to me, a thousand dollars is not a lot of money these days, you know, inflation and all, all that sort of thing. So back to, back to Bruce, what he told me was, he said, how much he goes, well, how much do you think I'm charging the clients for these per hour? I, I pay you 725 an hour. Like, what do you think I charge them? And he was just trying to test me just to see, cause he, he noticed like I was one of those guys on the crew that he maybe never really had. I mean, you know, pr- pretty smart guy, uh, I tested with a pretty high IQ, like, what are you doing working construction type of thing, right? And he said to me, <clears throat> and I said, well, seven twenty-five dollars an hour, right? And he said, no. And he laughed at me. And he goes, no, no, I, I charge them three to four times what I pay you. And I go, oh, well, why do you do that? And he goes, well, I have all the overhead, right? He explained, uh, you know, I got to pay insurance. I got to have, I'll take all this risk on. And he said, when I, when I when I'm done paying for your salary, I'm done paying for all the insurance, I'm done paying for all the overhead, then I get something called profit. And the dichotomy between the dad who raised me and Bruce was pretty much the rich dad, poor dad story all over again. It wasn't so much that Bruce was very wealthy and flamboyant with all the things. He just never worried about money. If he wanted some, he just had freedom from the anxiety of money from that. So I, I it all clicked for me. Then I was like, oh, well, I, I should just be a general contractor like Bruce. Like I should be a builder one day. And so what I did then every single summer up until I was 18 and graduated high school is I worked a different trade of construction and cause I was like, I'm going to be like Bruce. So the next summer was like framing next summer after that was like concrete next summer after that was like siding and windows and all, all, all whatever kind of trades there were. I graduated high school in, with a class of about 20 people, town of 500 uh, could probably, if I would have had more choice in school, I think I probably would have been uh, a higher, I would have graduated with a higher GPA. I just didn't apply myself because there's no choice. And for me, as a guy who really thrives when there's freedom, then I, then I do well, right? And so uh, all of a sudden, I, you know everybody was going to school, and I was like, well, I should at least go for two years to go to be a bil- a contractor. I'll go to building construction tech at North Dakota State School of Science in Wapperton. And when I got there, that was the first time I got to p- pick what I wanted to do. And then I started to accelerate. I was on a dean's list every semester. I figured out how to monetize going to school. I, t- I accelerated and, and graduated at the top of the class. And then by the time I got to that last semester, we do a capstone. We did a capstone project, and what that capstone project was is you need to build a house. So you're going to build a house with all the other students there, foundation all the way to last nail and a roof to, in the roof type of thing. And I got to looking at the blueprints. So this was the, 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 our big project. First time I got to really kind of look at blueprints, and I, my, my, my I'm a truther, and so. For me, knowing why the why behind people do things is just, I'm a little bit on the autistic spectrum too. So it just, I just have to know the truth. So I was like, hmm, why did the architects draw it like this? Like, like what, what made the architects decide to make these decisions like that? And then I started thinking, you know, I'm, I'm 20 years old. I have no children. I have no debt. I figured out how to monetize going to school. I actually love going to school now what if I applied 70 miles north up the North Dakota State University for the architecture program? So I did, I got in first class in the freshman class in that program is 350 people. And then it's paired down to 50 people in your second year. And then, then, then you're in the program. So it's very, very competitive. I got in, and the same sort of trajectory happened again. Uh, I was almost a 4.0 student. I, which was not, was, was like the opposite of high school. Figured out how to monetize going to school again. Graduated right at, at the top of the class, winning the Peter F. McKinsey Award, and then, and then the Great Recession happened. So I, I landed one of the last internships in Colorado only in 2008, only to be laid off about nine months later, in that summer, and that's where our origin story starts for our architecture firm F9 Productions. So uh, you know, I, I my business partner and I were best friends, Al Gore he graduated at the top of the class too, North Dakota state university. And everybody thought you guys should start an architecture firm one day because we, we had teamed up for a skyscraper project in our fourth year, which we won. And, it, you know, some of the professors were just like, you guys are like this perfect tag team duo because you're, I'm more engineer. Like Al is more ethereal and, you know, he looks at big picture sort of things and more artistic and stuff like that. Less engineering is what I'm trying to say. And, when I got laid off, I, knowing that the writing was on the wall, I, I fell back on my hand, my construction skills in that work set. And I put out these Craigslist, ads, knowing, knowing Craigslist ads, knowing I was going to get laid off. And I had all of these housewives calling me and like to do all this, all this handyman work. I never had to take unemployment. I, I worked for cash. And then I was, I was working I, every morning. I would work I would build these uh, 3D models on this old website that used to be called, uh, it's called TurboSquid. And it was, this is when architects were transitioning from AutoCAD, like 2D, into 3D Revit modeling software. So all of the old uh, 2D drawings and stuff and all, all these CAD details had to get translated in, in, into this new software system. I was loading so many models on the TurboSquid website that I got introduced by or that I got uh, noticed by the CEFO. And she contacted me and said, hey, uh, you're kind of on our radar here. Like, are you interested in more of this work? And eventually I landed a pretty big contract with ArcCat and that laid the platform for us having a steady amount of work. And then Al came down and we started our business out of his apartment.
0: Okay, I just wanted to get in. So when you say Al Gore, you don't mean the actual Al Gore.
1: uh, Yes, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yes, his name is Al Gore. His full name is Alexander Gore. He's from Rochester, Minnesota. So I do mean the real Al Gore. Oh,
0: oh, okay. Okay, so uh, because I went to high school with the Taylor Swift and, and okay, but not not the vice president, not the vice president, but my Al Gore is very real. Okay and and so is the Taylor Swift that I went to high school. There you go. With, uh, when you were loading um, the uh, from the website, uh, you used CDs and and you used all of that and it was and and was it very frustrating
1: to manage projects um, with that? Hm, can you repeat your question because I feel like I'm not sure, I'm not sure that question is uh, cogent with what my origin story. Um, all right. What were there frustrating
0: aspects with the designs? And, and as you said earlier, loading it to the website,
1: the, the, the website. uh, Yeah. That's very easy. That was easy to do.
0: Oh, Oh, it was. Mm -hmm. Um, all right. Um, okay. So, so, um, architecture we we covered covered that it is there was was there a definitely a was there a time that you felt that you weren't going to make it during that 2008 recession a specific um test of faith if you will
1: after i got laid off and started the firm um yeah okay so uh, yeah, so laid off, it started the firm, Al Gore came down at my real Al Gore came down, he rented the apartment kitty corner to mine up one flight of stairs. And it was perfect. It was a one bedroom apartment, our garage story, you know, you hear these stories about like Bill Gates and uh, uh, Jeff Bezos starting, starting businesses out of a garage. Everybody loves that kind of story. It's all, you know, it's very Americana sort of thing. Uh, our, ours was his dining room. That's where we started the business out of we starved for about four years, meaning we didn't really make any money. We made just enough money to pay ourselves a steady salary. And then in 2013, everything started to take off. Uh, The economy started to pick up. We also got lecturing jobs at CU Boulder. And suddenly we found ourselves not being able to complete all of the work on our own. And we had to hire people. And since 2013, over the past decade, we have had we have seen steady growth, growing from a, a firm of just low six figures to high to higher seven figures, uh, culminating with us winning the Best of Mile High Award, which means we're in customer service wise the top rated architecture firm in Colorado. So definitely there was a lot of fears, but um, you know in, in terms of in terms of failing. I guess I never really, I there was no reason to look back uh, if I'm a nineties kid. And one of the things I think that all of us do, if we grew up in the nineties is you couldn't get away from, you know, the Michael Jordan story. So I use getting laid off as that chip on my shoulder, just like Michael Jordan used in the sense that he didn't make the basketball team. I think after his sophomore year and then worked his butt off that summer and then made starting lineup that junior year, that's my outlook. And now at the age of 40, every single time something negative happens in my life, I get excited. I actually get excited because I know every single time that there's a negative that happens, a positive will counteract that. I'm more po- I'm more nervous when a positive happens and there's no negative attached to it because I know the negative is coming and then I get anxiety. So is that like,
0: you know, um uh, millennials Think like this, you know, life's going so good and nothing is, you know, getting you down. And then you think to yourself, you know, you're a bit more cautious, you know, something negative is going to happen to you. So there's definitely an an inverse to that. But, but, you know, with, you know, I guess with every door that closes, another one opens sort of thing, that's sort of the mindset.
1: 100%. Well, it's physics. So, electricity doesn't work unless there's a positive and a negative. If if anybody, if you've ever, that's just basic science. That's just basic science, right? I mean, there's a lot of science at this point. We don't trust, you know, with the COVID nonsense and all that. But if, but there is the reality of positive and negative. That is a fact, right? So if a negative happens in your life, there will be a positive to counteract that. I am just stating basic rules of life. Oh, okay. Um,
0: so Now, I think I may be jumping ahead here, but sure. um, how would you, uh, now you were using guerrilla
1: marketing, um, uh, when advertising the firm. Yeah, so uh, we actually got our clients. The tricky thing that we had to navigate through was when we first started the firm, we were not licensed architects. We were just designers. that's all we could call ourselves. We had to we had to look up all the rules and play by the rules and see what kind of typologies we could do. And you know, for example, basically it kind of limited us to very, very small commercial industrial jobs and and single family homes. That's all we could that's all we could really do, which was fine. Every architect likes to draw a house typically. And so we had to fly under the radar in a way. And one of the first things we did is Craigslist used to actually be really great for advertising. And what the why, the reason why it was is because you could actually put in uh, images in, in your posts and whatever you were trying to advertise for. You could write a little bit of HTML. So wh- when I was doing that advertising for the handyman stuff, that's sort of where I hacked this method. And so what we would do is we would advertise our architecture, sur- our, our design services on Craigslist. And we would just beat all these other architects who would just just write things out. Everything looked all, it was just all jumbly and wordy. And we just stood out because we we made it look like we, you push the easy button with us. The other thing we did is we put out an ad, a fake ad right away. And some people, some people listening to this might go like, well, this is, this is pretty sleazy. I I don't care if you think it's sleazy, it's business. This is how it works. We put out a fake ad and we said, we, we pretended as if we had a piece of land in the mountains and we were going to build a 2000 square foot cabin. And this was right at the height of the Great Recession. So architects were looking for work like crazy. We got over 100 inquiries and proposals for our fake project. We compiled all that data. We got to look at all the the way other architects and designers were proposing their services. And we picked out some of the best formulas that they had for it. So like the, the best looking, the most easy to digest, the most clean kind of proposals, something that was like appealing to people, especially like us. And then we actually, then we put all of the data into a spreadsheet and we figured out what we should actually be charging. We weren't going to be the low person. We weren't going to be the high person. We were going to be in the middle and then beat everybody with customer service. That's, that's guerrilla marketing 101 and how, and the basis for everything that we started from. I I have other stories too, if you'd like to hear them.
0: So in a way you were kind of like the pioneer of SEO, but um, at the time, back in the uh, late 2000s, early 2010s.
1: I don't know about that. I I wouldn't go that far. I mean, it was just simple Craigslist ads. You know, I don't know about pioneering SEO. Uh, Now I I wish I was that cool. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean it's
0: still a function because you still were using uh, keywords in a way. And
1: no, no, we weren't really using keywords. We were just, we, our method was, is that, so when, when you post like a service on Craigslist, you if you if you post like at 7 a.m. then then if somebody posts 7, 10 a.m., you go down, you know, throughout the day, right? People keep posting, you go down. So we would we would be very disciplined with our posts. We would basically leave them, we would, we would post like every three days so that we would be at the top of the list every three days. It it was simply recognizing how Craigslist worked and trying to keep yourself at the top of the list.
0: uh and, okay, so and and it okay, so that's not like just purchasing um, some services from Google or Facebook and then just having that go out, um, as in traditional SEO. If, no, not at all. Okay, mm-hmm. all right. J- just wanted to clear the airways uh, with with that. Um, so your first test run came with. Came from Craigslist. You didn't? Did you try any other sites after that?
1: Yeah, uh, we've been a we've been a user of Thumbtack. Geez, I think since 2010. So that was another one that we kind of jumped on right away. We still use Thumbtack to this day. A lot of other architects kind of frown and foo foo on it. The problem with most architects, which I actually appreciate that they do this, and I encourage them, keep being bad business people. You keep being bad business people, architects. I'll keep crushing it. I will keep making the money winning the awards, doing all the other stuff. You keep trying to be an artist and I will be a business person plus an artist. So they, they frown on that sort of thing, but we have, we've gotten award-winning architecture clients from that website. If anybody goes to our our website and they look at F9 productions forward slash uh, East watch house, or they, or they take a look at uh, Eldorado climbing walls. Those are very modern, beautiful projects, award-winning. We made the cover of builder magazine with the East watch house so yeah, and then obviously, we, we had our website at the core of everything. Um, but some other ways that we've done guerrilla marketing is like, for example, in 2012. So uh, Alex and I went on a trip with our girlfriends at the time, down in the southwest United States. And if anybody's driven through the southwest United States in the summer, th- you know, think of the Grand Canyon, think of uh, Moab, think of like that kind of landscape. It looks apocalyptic especially if there's a a thunderstorm rolling through, it looks very much apocalyptic. It looks like a nuclear bomb went off and it's just this barren, crazy land, right? The reason why I'm kind of setting this up is because everybody knows, if they need a reminder, what was going on in 2012. Everybody had heard about this Mayan calendar and the end of the world mean apocalypse. That that never happened, obviously, because it's 2023. We're sitting here talking today, Adam. But we knew that the media and Google itself the Google Trend searches, it was going to be like apocalypse and doomsday. It was going to be pretty themey for out the, throughout the year. So we were so on that trip, we we were like we should do our fun project this year because we made it a we made it a goal that we would do one, one fun unpaid project per year to try to get some guerrilla press because we didn't have any advertising money. I mean, Craigslist was free to post, you know, so that that that's where the guerrilla marketing comes in. Like there was no extra money for us to post. So we came up with doomsdaydwellings.com, and uh, that website is still alive. And we came up with four different kinds of houses. Uh, The Genesis house protects It protects you. It's all theoretical. It protects you from a nuclear blast. Uh, The house house protects you from earthquakes. Flood house protects you from floods. And seed protects you from fires. We got we got enough um, traction on that website, and we got recognized by Modern in Denver, which is the local magazine here that is uh, equivalent to Dwell magazine. Just to put it in perspective for for your for listeners, and we actually landed a seven page spread in the middle of that magazine, and and then our name on the cover of that magazine. And when we were going to do when we were getting photographed and you know working with the editors and everything for that, we uh we asked them we're like how much would this cost per page. And the, it would have cost $1,500 per page. We did not have any kind of advertising money like that. So that so that's another good example of like how we've used just non-traditional ways to get into traditional media without having any money. The last one is probably the best one is uh, everybody remembers when Jeff, Jeff Bezos was looking at different cities about 2017, I think is when it was to put Amazon's headquarters their second headquarters in and all of these cities were like clamoring over Amazon you know trying to do all kinds of tax incentives and all these things to lure them to their city denver really didn't give anything they weren't really that interested in it but we were interested in the idea of what if we put amazon's headquarters in the middle of denver and we we proposed the highest sky the tallest skyscraper in, in north america what would that look like so you can even go to our website now. You can take a look at it, F9 Productions and type in Amazon HQ uh, too. And so Al spent about a day and a half, two days coming up with the concept renderings and everything. And then I spent the next day after that on social media targeting all of the local media stations, um, like their, their Facebook posts and everything. And I would post our stuff in there. And we finally got noticed by a couple outlets, Fox 31 and Denver 7. They were so enamored with our proposal, and then we even we even sent emails to uh, Jeff Bezos and his team, and we we tracked them, and we saw that like Amazon actually ended up opening them. And Now, obviously, we didn't get the commission or anything like that, but Denver Seven, Fox Thirty One, they actually came up to our office, they filmed us, they asked us about the proposal, and then we got in a couple of local papers about it because we did our own press releases, and the one out of one of the papers. Lo and behold, there was a local developer who noticed us, and they said, wow, these guys, I, I, this is exactly, I have a piece of land. I want to develop 14 townhomes. These guys are local. They seem like they have fresh ideas. I want to work with them. And so we landed a townhome project out of that whole media blitz with that. So for us, the guru and the marketing really worked in our, early on in our careers when we had no money.
0: Nice, nice. Um, now, you've designed... Uh, projects in North Dakota and and Denver. uh, Has there been a difference uh, between each state? Is there anything that, any regulations that might come into play between different state laws that could affect a project's development?
1: Well, yeah. So, so, and to be clear, so we've been licensed in Idaho. We've been licensed in North Dakota. We've been licensed in Tennessee. We're licensed in Colorado. So, we've done, I and mean, we've done work all over the state of Colorado. So, not just Denver. The entire state of Colorado, the western slope, the Front Range, the plains, all of that. It it actually is not so much state to state. It's even it's the government has gotten so big, even locally, and so bureaucratic that actually everything varies from city to city and county to county. So that's the the real way to answer this question, right? So if I'm trying to build something in Boulder County versus Weld County, and these are both counties down in Colorado for the record, vastly different. If I try to build just a single family house in Boulder County, it's gonna take me maybe up to two years before I have a building permit, just working with the government. If I try to build a house in Weld County, it's gonna maybe take me about three months, then I can build. That's, That's the biggest difference. The biggest difference is, is all the planners and the planning side of things and having to go through that process depending on just where those places are politically. This is a fact. If it's a deep blue area, it is going to be very difficult to get a building permit. If it is a deep red area, it's very, very easy. Okay. Um.
0: And um. so what state has probably been... Or what area do you think has been the best, um, for the easiest to manage, uh, South Dakota. to uh, manage a project?
1: Yeah, South Dakota. Uh, South Dakota was the easiest, not so much to manage. South Dakota is the easiest to get a building permit. There was a, there was a couple that I went to college with that called us probably four or five years ago to design their house out in the countryside. And I was like, okay, can I just, guys, I need to just, can I just call the county? I can't even remember what county it is. And they were like, yeah, just feel free. Call the county and call the county. And they go, no, no joke. They, I said, hey, I'm an architect down here in Colorado. Do you guys have like a building permit checklist? Meaning a lot of these entities will have a checklist and they'll say like, you need to have floor plans, elevation sections, engineer drawings, you know, whatever. They'll have a whole list of stuff. This county just simply told me flat out. They go, well, do you own the land? And they go, well, my clients do. And they go build what you want. We don't care. That was it. Again, deep red, little, very low population, do what you want.
0: Okay. Um. So what advice would you have to anyone that wants to come up and be an architect uh, at all? And w- what advice would you give them before going into it, rather?
1: Oh, I think you need to start early from the from the standpoint of building things with your hands like I did, you need to get, you need to build stuff. You need to, you need to go work trades. You need to understand how the buildings actually go together because the, the problem with architects is like a lot of times to them, it's just lines on paper. But as soon as, as soon as the, the rubber meets the road, as soon as you get those lines on paper out in the field and the guys are out there in the 90 degree weather, literally risking their lives every day to make the civilized worlds happen. It's a reality. And if you don't know, if you don't know how your lines need to reflect a future reality and how things actually get put together, you, you are not going to be a good architect. You can't just be an artist and be an architect. You have to be a half half building scientist, half artist in order to be an architect. So the more hands-on construction knowledge that you have before you even enter architecture school will prove the most valuable to you in the long run.
0: And and getting out in the fields is obviously the most important factor to to this all. And um, with, with all that, Uh sorry, just just a bit nervous here. But um, uh, the classroom. Um, yeah. any advice for studying? Um, when they when they go into an engineering class or or their first architecture class any advice uh when they first enter the class or or how or
1: how you studied well the biggest the biggest thing i think so i i matured i was a very mature 21 year old architecture student because i that's then i as soon as i got into architecture school i had a child after the first year i was in school so it made me grow up very quickly meaning like there's no more drinking there's no more smoking there's no more partying there is discipline there is consistency that needs to happen. There is going to bed early. There's waking early. And, and with, if you do those things, if you can discipline yourself and you're an architecture student, you can avoid this nasty word in the phrase that people still giggle about. And like, they think it's okay to have, and that is pulling an all-nighter. You do not want to pull all-nighters. All-nighters are unacceptable. That's no way to live. I, d- I never had to pull an all-nighter, uh, in, in my last couple of years of school, because I was disciplined. I was the first one at studio. I was the last one to leave studio every day. And, and that's what you got to do. You have to live it. You have to earn those 10,000 hours and you need to master your craft, but you have to, there's, you got to just no more drinking, no more smoking, like this is your life. And trust me, it'll pay dividends if you just sacrifice the fun. The fun can come later. The fun can come after you, you know, get out of school, get a job, get a wife, start making some money then go to cancun and party with your wife do go to vegas those are you can still do that stuff afterwards in fact you'll probably even have a better time afterwards uh, because you're not going to be with a bunch of yahoos from college who are you know immature and that sort of thing so you really if you can if you can do that if you can especially especially mastering the mornings if you can then continue that into your professional year or professional you know career after that Super important. I, I'm I'm that's how I get so many things done. That's how I'm an architect, a builder, a podcaster, a professor, a professional fisherman, a philanthropist is I go to bed, I don't drink, I don't, I, I don't party. I, I'm not boring, trust me. I'm I'm a very fun person, but I go to bed early, I wake up early, and those golden hours in the morning are in, intensely critical. Getting up and getting ahead of the world between 5 a.m. and 7 a.m. every single day and not letting the world get ahead of you, that enables you to level up.
0: Incredible. Um, I wasn't a huge drinker in college. I didn't drink much and I put, and I played hockey too. So, so uh, in college, so, so like there, there's a, a huge incentive to, to do it, but, but I mean, whether it's working out early in the morning, uh, to go to practice at seven a m mm-hmm. or or just studying for class I mean it's very necessary uh in the long run and 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 i think and and if you can instill that at a young age, whether it's with practice or just studying or going to your job and just waking up at five or six a m you know you're gonna be much better off and And, uh, and, and, and I've seen teammates of mine, like just, you know, bomb tests, you know, from Mm -hmm. drinking all night and like, like, so like, you know, one of my teammates was bragging about getting a 60 once, but, but I mean, it's not going to be beneficial if you have that mentality of, yeah,
1: yeah hundred percent, hundred percent I've interviewed on our, so we have about 500 episodes. We're just, I think we're at like 503 now on our podcast. We've had, it's been, it's, uh, we've been doing it for six years since 2017. And I, half of the shows are me interviewing some of the most successful people in the world. John McAfee, for example, you know, remember the late great John McAfee of McAfee virus software. With the exception of him, because he, he was a drinker and a, and a drug guy and all that stuff later on in his career um, or whatever it right on his life rather, but beyond him, all the other very successful multi multi millionaires that i've interviewed every, almost every single one of them do do like do three fundamental things and and their life is successful just because they do these three fundamental things it's uncanny how often it is they don't drink they go they they go to bed early they wake early and they schedule everything they make appointments for everything they make appointments to go on a date with their wife they make appointments to take their children to the soccer game they really Take control of their lives every single day by having a schedule and and keeping things organized in that sort of way. And and of course, I scheduled this. I was ready to go.
0: So so there's that. Um. Um. And and I'll add that I'm having your calendar synced, whether that's Google, your your iCalendar, or you're an Outlook, or, j- or just putting it on your phone. And oh yeah, my yeah. Phone is- uh, across the room but but just keeping just having it ready to go and and even alerts you know you're going to be much better off as well and you're and you're going to be less likely to miss something so don't squander this opportunity of all this technology because because you know you can have alarms set and notifications set too and and that is a huge benefit when it comes to scheduling in the modern, day
1: yeah and it doesn't make you a lot of people when they initially hear me talk like that about i schedule everything i mean i do i like i have a, I have a date with a I, have a I have a date uh tomorrow and I, i've had it on the schedule stuff like that even is uh is very important because it, so what the reaction that people sometimes get is they say like well that seems like it's a very anal way to live like you seem like minute by minute. And it's like, no, it's not quite like that. I mean, you, you can still be very, you can still be sort of loose. It, it makes your life structured. So then you have the freedom. If somebody says, for instance, my friend, my my friend, Robert is coming into town on Monday uh, of next week. And because I have a nice organized schedule, I just pulled it up while I was talking to him. And he, cause he gave me a couple of days that maybe we could have lunch. And I go, oh yeah, yeah. Monday's Monday's open. Now I'll put it in the calendar and there you go I, I made I made space for you it allows you to make space for people for yourself for your life but and yeah and and
0: and I mean and from the scheduling aspect to the architecture it's structure that that binds everything
1: together mm-hmm Yep, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Discipline equals freedom. Um, you know, having a structured life equals freedom. None of the having being financially well off equals freedom. Um, debt is slavery, right? Um, being subject to everybody else's schedule is slavery. Like you were trying to avoid those things.
0: Yeah. Um, okay. So at the 37 minute mark, uh
1: anything else you want to uh, any advice you have for anyone else? Yes. If if so remember, every single time a negative happens in your life, get excited because a positive will happen. I'm serious. That is the mindset. That is the outlook to have. It is a challenge from God every single time. He is testing you, and you and is your duty to respond. Stand up straight with your shoulders back. Every single day, be proud of who you are. Be disciplined. Go to bed early, wake up early, and 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 don't don't sweat over the little things. Like the little things will pass. The bigger things, the bigger things, you don't even worry about that because like if, if you as long as you're doing those disciplined things and you're you're headed on the right road every day, you're gonna you're gonna be in great shape. You're gonna be in great shape.
0: Perfect. What a way to end the segment. Uh do you have any links or uh YouTube links, LinkedIn, anything uh you want to put in the Uh, Show notes.
1: 100%. Yeah. If uh, everybody can go to uh, LinkedIn.com and just type in Lance, L-A-N-C-E, last name Psycho, C-A-Y-K-O, and I will link in with you. Even if you're spam bot, I'll do it. Uh, If you want to hear about how we started the firm in more detail, what we do on a day-to-day basis, uh, listening to other entrepreneurs that are very successful, you can go to insidethefirmpodcast.com. If you want to keep up with anything we're doing architecture-wise, you can go to f9productions.com and sign up for a newsletter and uh, follow us there. Okay, perfect. Um, And
0: before I close this segment out, uh, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast, uh, rate this five stars on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get this podcast. Write a little review as well. And um, if you like hockey, check out the uh, hockey podcast. uh, That is the Adam Rothstein hockey podcast. And the links to everything will be in the show notes. All right. Thank you very much, everyone, and take care.